Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And welcome to our holy happy hour and... Happy Advent! Happy Advent! Yay! Did, did I beat you to the punch? You did, but Sorry. what's new, really? I like Advent. Absolutely. We're going to talk about Advent during this episode. We're going to give you a couple of drink suggestions, and then we'll talk about the history of Advent, some cool customs regarding Advent, and then some local events and upcoming events and new and exciting books that are out in the market. It's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited for us. Excellent. So let us begin in our customary way. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. Amen. All right. I know you are a thirsty lady, Alexandra, so we are going to cut to the chase. And I'm I'm cold. Ah. It's really cold and raw here in Waco, Texas. Well, we have something for you. One of the traditional drinks during Advent is Glühwein. Glühwein also known as glow wine. It is a hot mulled wine. I like saying glühwein. Glühwein sounds good. So the Germans called it glow wine or glühwein because they used to heat the wine by sticking hot iron rods in it. And it would glow like the rods, you know, red hot pokers. Huh, what a great idea. Stick it in there and whoosh, and it would glow. I did not know that actually. So... We do not have hot iron pokers right now in our little room, so we've already preheated everything, not quite as a dramatic buildup as we usually do, but I'm going to pour us our drinks, which go in Irish coffee mugs, Irish coffee cups, well, you know, things that can hold hot beverages, and then... Then we're going to drink it? Then we're going to drink it. Oh, Thank you for reminding me. Are you going to explain later what your elaborate thing you do sometimes when we have big parties? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll save that for New Year's Eve because that's when we usually have it. All right. Stay tuned. You are in suspense. (laughs) So why don't you read us the ingredients? By the way, I have a little surprise for you, Mike, that you don't know about. Okay. Glühwein. This is an individual as opposed to a group drink. Four ounces of claret or any hearty dry red wine. Red wine. Red wine. So a claret is the English word for a red wine from the French region of Bordeaux. But you can use any hearty red. We are using a Cabernet Sauvignon from our favorite black box. That's right. Black box. We would take your sponsorship too. <laughs> a one stick of cinnamon. A half a teaspoon of sugar. One orange peel, one lemon peel, one whole clove. And you build it in a small saucepan. You bring to the boiling point, let it cool a little bit, and serve it in an Irish coffee mug. Um, yeah, so, and also I think you have a note here that says we don't, we don't allow it to boil because then we lose all the alcohol. And what is the fun of that? Exactly. But if you want to serve it to kids, you might want to bring it to a boil. And I have to admit... I cheated. I didn't have an orange peel or a lemon peel, so I added orange bitters and lemon bitters. So we're going to see how that works. We have more bitters in our house than we do fresh fruit. I'm just grateful for the drink. All right, here we go. I'm going to pour it in. It really feels like it's actually 
Advent, finally. When you live in Texas, it sort of feels like it's summer goes on forever. And now, like I said, it's chilly, and it feels like it's the right season for mulled wine. Cheers. Cheers. To your health and holiness. Happy Advent. Hey, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Definitely tastes like the holidays. It does. It does. I will say it is better with the the actual lime and, uh, I mean, lemon and uh, orange, but... This is a good improv. Yeah, but you're right. The the bitters were a little too dominant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our priest had a little party the other day, and uh, Father Finch, hi. And uh, he served a fantastic mulled wine. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to tell you my little surprise for you? Yes, please. I found the recipe of Evelyn Waugh, one of our favorite authors, of Evelyn Waugh's uh, mulled wine, mulled claret. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to hear what the recipe is? Yeah. Take six bottles of red wine. So I already love, right? He was a bit of a boozer. That ours was like, what was it? Four ounces? Exactly. <laughs> He's obviously making it, I hope, for people, for friends. <laughs> having a party. Four bottles of red wine. It would be improper to use really fine Bordeaux. But the better the wine, the better the concoction. Any sound claret or burgundy will do. One cup full of water. Two Port glasses of brandy. Also adore that his measurement is a port glass instead of like... Exactly. One port glass of ginger wine. Hmm. I love this part. One orange stuffed with cloves. Maybe do Mm -hmm. that. The cloves all over. Peel of two lemons, three sticks of cinnamon, and one grated nutmeg. Nice. If you ever do grated nutmeg, those like you can buy those old... The nuts. It's so much better than powdered nutmeg. And then you heat and cover a cauldron. Love it. Cauldron. Do not allow to simmer. For the same reason we don't want to, don't want to boil out all the good stuff. But it's just when you don't allow it to simmer. To simmer, yeah. yeah. Like he's like, I don't want to lose it. Not a single molecule of What's ethanol it? shall be We don't lost. want any of the the uh, devil's, sh- the angel share. Exactly. Yeah. We talked about that recently. Uh, serve hot and keep hot on the hob. What's a hob? I have no idea. Huh. The hob. Should be drunk at the same temperature as tea. Well, may you rest in peace, Evelyn Wall. We love you and thank you for the recipe. Yeah. We'll try that this Advent. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so a couple words about the history of Advent, because it is a very unusual season. It wears violet vestments. The Gloria is suppressed during Mass. Mm-hmm. Always makes me sad. And yet, we're joyful. Mm-hmm. We're giddy. We're caroling in the streets at the same time. So it's like a tension? It is indeed a tension. Would you like to know where the tension comes from? Jesus? Sure. <laughs> Always a <laughs> solid a answer. theological answer. There's a historical reason, though, and it basically is, what shall we call it, liturgical cross-pollination. Okay, I'm I'm tracking. So in the Middle Ages, not everyone in Europe celebrated the liturgy in exactly the same way. And the Franks, so those are the people in mostly France and some parts of Germany. The Franks used to be in Germany and they came to France... And like, so they combined with the the Gallics. Yeah. So first there were the Gauls, 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 but then the Franks were a Germanic tribe under Charlemagne that eventually came, took over, etc. Charlemagne wasn't the first to take over, but you associate Charlemagne with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they celebrated a very austere advent. After the Feast of St. Martin's, which we talked about in an earlier episode, they observed St. Martin's Lent. Oh, that's right. And then Advent was a time of fasting, austerity, uh, violet vestments, no Gloria. So that's what's going on in France. In the meantime, in the Roman Rite... Can you tell me about when that was? 
like 800s. Okay. And then going into the Middle Ages. So eventually over time, they wanted to sort of uh, amalgamate the two liturgies. But in Rome, Advent was a time of great joy, white vestments and the Gloria. So... Which I get both of them. Yeah, exactly. So one is joy, joy, Jesus is coming. The other one is repent, fast, get ready, Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming. They both make sense. Yeah. So what they did was they met in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, Rome said, okay, we'll adopt the violet vestments and the no Gloria, but we are not going to... Be dour. ...command any fasting during Advent. Hmm. So fasting during Advent was not canonical? To my knowledge, no. Okay. I mean, it's a time where you're supposed to have greater restraint, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe the church, at least the the church in Rome, ever ordered it, obligated it. Well, my house theologian, I thought, once told me, that's also you, by the way, uh, told me, like the house wine, um, told me that that Advent was... The joyful fast. Was this just trying to get me to get skinny before Christmas? How did you know? <laughs> All right. Yeah, you got me. No, the but that's what we've always done is a, jo- sorry, a joyful fast. I've never fasted during Advent. You're kidding. No. I always do. No, you don't. I absolutely do. Yeah. You really? didn't know that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. Well, I'm impressed. Oh, well, I mean, you can. I do it joyfully. I mean, it's, it's like not, it's joyful and your attitude, but it's also just like not that harsh. And if there are days, I mean, there's so many feast days in Advent. Yes. I mean, we love St. Lucy. We love, um, obviously, the Immaculate Conception, Guadalupe, Barbara. So that seems like there are just a lot of occasions where you're you're fudging, so to speak. And then, like, for parties, I don't, you know, I'm not uh, too harsh about it. But So it sounds like by the time you're done with all these exceptions. <laughs> so I fasted for two days. <laughs> this sounds very Jesuitical. Just, just well, like you said recently, <laughs> I would have made a great Jesuit. Exactly. <laughs> well, for the record, Alexandra, the quote-unquote joyful fast is in reference to the um, ember tide of Pentecost. The Monday, Wednesday, and Friday after Pentecost were days of obligatory fasting, but they were supposed to be joyful fasts. I was really close on that one. I'm, I applied it to Advent, and it's actually Pentecost. But I was like about halfway around the year. You know, you're still in the year, though. I mean, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I, and I'm sure in our 25 years of marriage, I haven't done it every year, I didn't even know about like fasting, the traditional way of fasting all through Lent until we were first dating and you had been fasting all of Lent and then we're so excited for Easter. I had, I just, you know, was raised in the, the new church and we only fasted on Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. So that was amazing to me. And then I, I thought that we were on the same team about Advent. You, you surpassed me. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's talk about some of the customs of Advent, and I'll start with you, Mrs. Foley. Uh, when you think customs of Advent, what customs come to mind? Well, I there's the Advent wreath, of course. That's sort of ubiquitous. There's the Advent calendar. Um, I understand some people have like bourbon Advent calendars these days. I feel like that's even too far for us. And then, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> and of course, the nativity scene. Uh, that's probably my favorite is the nativity scene, though I really do enjoy making an Advent wreath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Advent wreath is such a family-friendly custom as well. You know, to gather around. To light the candles. Say your evening prayers, light the candle, right. that sense of anticipation. Yeah. And then the candles get brighter and brighter. As a former florist, too, I just love like collecting greens from, from outside and making them from what you can. Do you know where the Advent wreath is from? 
The Lutheran Church. I know that one. Hey, good for you. That is correct. It was Lutherans in Germany mm-hmm. who, unlike other Protestant groups, preserved a liturgical sensibility. They were the ones that designed the Advent wreath as a way of helping children get excited for Christmas. So had the Lutherans at that point like stripped a lot of other things? And so they were like, hey, okay, here, let's have a little compensation. We'll do an Advent wreath. Good question. I mean, they they don't believe in, you know, transubstantiation. They don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. But they did preserve the basic format of the Tridentine Mass. They translated it into the vernacular and then got rid of some, they got rid of all references to sacrifice. But they kind of kept the liturgical year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they didn't keep all the saints, mm-hmm. but they did keep some. And they especially kept the... Uh, temporal cycle, which is Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. Sure, makes sense. What is, is that because it's the Germans were just so into Christmas? No, Luther just didn't have an animus against the liturgy per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had an animus against some Catholic doctrines. Mm-hmm. It was later Protestants who were really uh, suspicious of all kinds of ceremony. Swingling? Zwingli, Calvin. Can you I pulled that out? Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. What's the wrong. guy in Scotland, John Knox? Like, you know, any kind of ceremony smo- smoked, <laughs> smacked of potpourri. Hmm. And so... They're probably against smoking too. Yeah. Yeah. Downers. Yeah. So yeah. So the Advent wreath is very cool. In the United States, of course, it is liturgically coordinated. So you have three purple candles and one pink And the pink one, of course, is lit the third week, not the final week, because that's Gaudete Sunday, which we'll talk about in in a later episode. Mm -hmm. But in Europe, the candles are all white or all red. They're Hmm. not liturgically coordinated. That's an American thing. Yeah. Huh. I actually learned something from this podcast. You know, stranger things have happened. (laughs) I learned lots of things. So lots of, so customs around the Advent wreath would include lighting it for your evening prayer, that's kind of it, right? Yeah. And sometimes it is uh, on the table, like the family table. Other times it is suspended from the chandelier. Didn't know that either. Sounds very drippy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And harder to light. And harder to light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else? So you mentioned the advent calendar. By the way, we have our own advent calendar. I pulled from Drinking with St. Nick, which is the sequel to Drinking with the Saints, Drinking with St. Nick provides drinking suggestions for every day of Advent and the Christmas season. And we have designed, or my wonderful son James has designed, recipe cards, which are posted on Instagram that give you a drink for every day of Advent. It is our own Advent calendar. If you go to our Instagram uh, or Facebook, Drinking with the Saints, but the Instagram is Drinking Saints, I think that's so adorable that you're like, and James is going to do this. He hasn't actually done it yet, but he's going James to. James is doing it. We've already got a couple out. It's it's happening. It's happening. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I have total faith in my 19-year-old son. Absolutely. He's actually really great at this. He you. really is. Yeah. yeah. He also is probably our, the only kid in our family who listens to our podcast. Oh, so we have to say nice things about him. Yeah. Let's, let's go back and delete all that. <laughs> we love you, James. Thank you, James. You're the best. So the advent calendar is pretty straightforward. It's a little window. You open it up. Not Except ours. For ours. Yeah, exactly. just like, that's amazing. You can do that on Instagram, but James is brilliant. Go on. And it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one. There are some that have chocolates. I've seen that. Oh, yeah. Sometimes the windows open up to a little cavity that has a treat. Yeah. So you mentioned the bourbon. 
I've seen advent calendars with tiny, tiny little bottles. Yeah. And I mean tiny, like smaller even than the, the little, little airport ones. Which are not that small. Yeah. I mean, it's advent after all. It's <laughs> it's what I call a holy or a joyful fast. Yep. So you do the fast and then you take a little shot and that's the joy? Yeah, there it is. All right. Excellent. That's how I get through the day, Mike, because I'm just drinking all day. I think it's probably worth mentioning that we actually have one advent calendar we use every year over and over again. So you open up the little windows and then we're pretty, pretty bare bones, kind of cheap people. And then at the end of it, Mike puts a big book on it and lets it just kind of squish back down again to be, to reuse the next year. That's right. Speaking of advent calendars, these aren't actually advent calendars, but they're, uh, Sophia Institute has these gorgeous illustrated liturgical year calendars and they have an Advent one that we had last year. So, so beautiful. And for every day, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it has the actual calendar. So you can only use it once. We can't use it over and over again like we did with our Advent calendar. Um, but the illustrations are so beautiful. And it takes you through the year in such a great way. And it doesn't just do... There's Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany calendar. And you just get all the way through the month. Or the it's more than a month. But it, they're just... They're so helpful. And they're great for little kids. The illustrations are beautiful. And it's really, really a good you know, kind of pedagogical tool. And they're really well conceived. They're they're rich in symbolism. Just be sure not to throw out the piece of paper that explains the symbolism. Oh yes, that is quite important. But like, and they're so richly symbolic. You're going to want to look at those anyway. That's Sophia Institute Press, and that's the Illustrated Liturgical Year Calendar. All right, cool. Not an affiliate link. We just love them. And what about the nativity scene? Do you like that? I th- actually, that's my favorite. Like, I'm kind of cool on the Advent wreath in some ways. The calendar, honestly, sometimes you forget to open up little things. Our kids are older now. Our youngest is 11, so there's not someone, like, waiting breathless to open it every day. But it's the nativity scene that I love. And I've loved it since the kids were young because it was, like, a liturgically appropriate toy for them to play with. Years ago, we made the decision to invest in uh, Fontanini, figurines. I think they're like eight inches tall. We started out, you know, we were super poor. We just got married and Joseph. string <laughs> hitting me. And Jesus. And, and we, did, we, we sprung for Jesus and he's got a little crib and it's a detachable Jesus too, the way the Fontanini does it. And maybe we also bought like one wise man or something. Anyway, over the years, we've, we've got the three wise men and we would actually bring in and a little crush. So we, remember we got a Walmart for like $4. It was crazy. Yeah. And it had, had, um, moss on top glued to it now like over the years the kids have picked all the moss off it's just this little wood structure and then we mike is so genius with these things he would take the children's animals you know of course we have all these little animal figurines some of them to scale some not and he would have those go all around to be worshiping at the the stable as well at the manger i have so much fun with the nativity scene i know you are so great so there are a couple of cool customs about it You, you put it up in advent you don't have baby Jesus in the manger until Christmas morning. And you've got a couple of options. One is to have the three kings. Hey, wait, hold on. If yeah. your children are listening, don't let them listen to this part. Ten well, children should not listen to this. Well, no, no, I can, I, can, I can describe this in a certain way. Okay, go. So you put the three kings at the one end of the room, the opposite end. And you can also take Joseph and Mary and put them at the other end. And then... Each night, the kings move closer to the nativity scene, and they don't arrive until January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany. In the meantime, Joseph and Mary are making their way to Bethlehem. They don't arrive at the manger until December 24th. 
This is and like, then baby Jesus arrives the next morning. Right. The question is, how do they arrive? And I've always maintained that they move miraculously each night, sometimes based on the virtues that the children have shown that day. If they don't move much, maybe the kids were naughty <laughs> and it did not properly incentivize the kings to move. As my children got older, they began to suspect that this was not a miraculous event, but that daddy was moving them at night. But they have no evidence no of this claim. They have tried, but they have no evidence. This is all just rumor. You know, if our kids were super smart, they would put out a game camera like we did that time. We were trying to figure out who kept eating the brownies in the, in the pantry. And it was Johnny. <laughs> and it That's was Johnny right. eating the brownies. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Game Everyone cameras needs a, are so Everyone useful. needs a game camera. Everyone needs a game camera, yeah. Or a nanny cam. It's, you know, deer, hogs, and children. depredating children. <laughs> well, I love that you do this and some of the funny things you've done too. I mean, okay, I'll be honest. There's a tension in our marriage that sometimes Mike goes like really far for these things and spends hours and hours and hours like building or developing something. And there was some Christmas or Advent that Mike and his dad spent hours in the shed building these like a bridge basically with little steps going up it that could bridge so that the wise men could go from like one bookshelf across an open, very big uh, doorway arch to the next bookcase. You know, how are they going to make it? And so we built these little steps and then there was a bridge going over and then steps down. Because we, when I said opposite end of the room, we always had them up high, like on bookshelves right. or cabinets because we have a dog. We didn't want the dog chewing them up. Yeah, um, I was really worried about the dog. But then... You know, it's not wall-to-wall bookshelves, so there are these gaps. How do these poor magi get across? So we built them a bridge. A worse father would just say, look at the amazing leap they made in one night, thanks to your virtue, kids. Hey, but this is the Bible, not hours. Marvel Comics, all right? <laughs> they aren't Spider-Men. And then in one spot between, like, it's in a corner, and it's between, like, a valance box and a cabinet, you built a... Rope ladder. A rope ladder out of tongue depressors, Right. Oh, no, that's the footbridge. So there's oh, the, right, there's yeah. a permanent bridge. There are now three. There's a permanent bridge. There's a footbridge made out of string and popsicles, popsicle, popsicle sticks. sticks. And then the third thing was a rope ladder that's made out of string and um, what do you call that? Little the, dowels. Little dowels, yeah. Yeah, you like cut those up. You, you yeah. I think you stained them even. And then sometimes... It's the, Christmas, baby. That's for the wise men, right? Yes, that was for the wise men. They have to like... The they climb box. up and then there's another place where they have to rappel down. At the very yeah. end, they have to rappel down on a string down to the actual nativity scene. That is correct. Yeah, it gets a little wild around here. <laughs> sometimes... So sometimes too, Mary and Joseph are on their way, but then all of a sudden there is a, and I'm not kidding you, a dinosaur. Yeah, like a monster. Like one year it was an octopus. Another year it was a dinosaur. You know, it can be... A tiger. Don't you also try to relate those to like spiritual hiccups? Ooh, that's the next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just in for the sheer drama. I think those are the vices, right? Absolutely. There's concupiscence. It's a dinosaur. I like that. There's a little feral hog. I mean, these are all like, these are not, you know, these are all not to scale. Like there's a giant dinosaur in front of them. And then there's like a a feral hog that's half the size of Joseph. No, the, the hogs, actually most of the animals fit. Do they? Yeah. I'm not using like giant stuffed animals. These are like the little hard <laughs> plastic ones, you know? Yeah. No, they're yeah. great. This is a fascinating conversation. Okay, let's move on.
Well, we have some exciting things to report to you. We have a new book out, and it's on Christmas. Christmas? Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, Christmas Traditions Explained. It explains everything. It explains these customs of Advent. It will explain the Christmas tree, which we'll also be doing in a future episode. It talks about the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas carols. There's a chapter on the dark side of Christmas, the ghouls, the goblins, witches, and werewolves that dominate during the Christmas season. So it's a really fun book. I so loved researching it. It's not all about alcohol. If you want something about alcohol, Drinking with St. Nick makes Mm -hmm. a great companion volume. But this new one is really fun because it covers all the customs. Do you want to hear something sweet and personal? Uh, Of course. I was at a wedding recently with our daughter, Mary. She was my plus one. And uh, someone was asking her about about Christmas. And she went into a long thing about the goblins that you would make at Christmas when we forgot to take down the Christmas ornaments. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, sure. Just very briefly, there was a tradition that if, or a superstition that if you left Christmas decorations up after January 6, the number of decorations you had left out, it would attract that number of goblins. And so the kids hadn't cleaned up all of, (laughs) this is pretty bad. I was going to say, we are really bad parents, actually. The, The kids hadn't cleaned up all the decorations and it was a cold and stormy night. Mm-hmm. And I made a, a kind of scary goblin face and I taped it to a, a short lamp stand and put tiny little feet. And a t-shirt like made the body. Baby shoes. Yeah, yeah. And a t-shirt made the body. And I put it outside and I said, kids, kids, look, look out the window. You couldn't really see anything. Like there's just like an image. And then you flick the like floodlight outside. And I mean, I, I screamed at the top of my lungs. It was terrifying. It was so terrifying and so funny and And then the worst part my daughter monica was very small at the time she crawled up my body (laughs) into my arm just terrified and she was she was in speech therapy and uh after the christmas break the uh the speech therapist asked her so did you have a good christmas no why not too Too many many goblins." goblins (laughs) <laughs> yeah. she the therapist the knew that you know you know they're catholic they're homeschooling like man they're even weirder than we thought <laughs> she was not wrong <laughs> that's a good one that's really for after we do that the day after epiphany like yeah. we put all that's when we get rid of our tree there are a couple of different traditions we'll, but talk, we'll about talk about that more that later. yeah yeah All right, so with respect to the publication of the Mistletoe book, for those of you in the Waco, Central Texas area, we have two local events coming up. That's right. On Thursday, December 1st, my beloved Baylor University has their wonderful annual tradition of Christmas on 5th Street. You just called Baylor your beloved? It is my beloved. I'm right here. (laughs) Go on. I thought we had an understanding. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like an office wife. Exactly. I have to have a certain affection for the source of my paycheck. Sure. We love you, Baylor. (laughs) Exactly. Hi, Baylor. Hi, Baylor. (laughs) So Baylor does this wonderful thing, Christmas on 5th Street. They have a live nativity scene, like real camels, real donkeys, and a number of other great events. So I am giving a presentation on mistletoe, and then I will be available to sell and sign copies of the book. All right. That sounds fun. That is fun. And then... Sadly, there'll be no cocktails involved, but that's fine. Oh, true. 
And then the following week, Fabled Bookstore. Which is easily the best bookstore in all of Waco. Oh, it's it's so wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. everyone should go there. Fabled Bookstore is also having a sort of launch event for the book. Mm -hmm. And that will be on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th. 7 p.m. And you're going to do talk about your book a little bit, and then you're going to do a cocktail demonstration, right? That is correct. And finally, we still have our nickname contest. We want you to come up with the best name for the listeners and followers of the Drinking with the Saints podcast. So please give us your ideas at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. Or you can uh, direct message us uh, Drinking Saints on Instagram or uh, our Facebook page, which is cleverly named Drinking with the Saints. Exactly. And don't forget to like us or follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. That's right. Got a lot going on. We do. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week to your health and holiness. Ooh, next week is Immaculate Conception, right? Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Our favorite cocktail of all time is next week. Very excited for that. Make mine a double. (laughs) All right. God bless. Happy Advent. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints and find Drinking with the Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking with the Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.